0: today we are talking about everything that is in flux twitter netflix everything is is in flux there's a changing of the guard new gatekeepers old gatekeepers what is going on who exactly determines what we see how we get what we get in the first place. Also, we discussed the greatest comic book run of all time that got cut way too short. Nine issues. Only nine issues of what was certain to be one of the absolute best comic book runs of all space and time. It is beloved. What happened? Why did it get cut short? How could it have been changed? We get the inside juice on today's observations. <laughs> Hey, everybody, this is Observations. Welcome to another edition. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. They are my Observations. A Rob'servation show is generally one that is populated by an extended discussion of a topic that falls into the pop culture comic book arena, one that seems to dominate um, every aspect of our entertainment uh, options platforms nowadays, as you know, whether it's streaming, whether it's uh, uh, movie, cinema games we, we all know every every company every platform has their comic book showcase uh case in point uh, amazon prime you know has 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 the boys it has invincible off the top of my head boom there's two obviously disney has the entire marvel catalog Warner Brothers with or Discovery Warner Brothers or Warner Brothers Discovery whatever they decided to call it two weeks ago is boasts now the you know entire DC comic book Catalog and gives it to you in films and on their shows exactly in the same way that Disney and Marvel does. So you guys, uh, you get the point. Hulu is an offshoot of, of of Fox, which was purchased over four years ago by Disney, and that's where you get your uh, occasional uh, uh, cloak and dagger or or whatever they 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 put on that platform. But yeah, it's um, it's everywhere. It's it's uh, nonstop. I don't I don't see it ever turning back, and it is. The passion of my life, so I love talking about it. I love booting up and discussing it with you guys each and every uh, episode as often as I can. A lot of stuff has been going down in the uh, internet space, a space that we all are are interacting with. It's seemingly every second of our lives. The uh, and, and possibly even more the younger that you go, the uh, news came out that Twitter is 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 in is in flux. It may or may not be purchased by. Elon Musk. And at the end of the day, uh, what that means is there will be a new gatekeeper. And uh, what that means is that there are uh, so many different gatekeepers that allow us, the public, to see what we see. They are the ones who select what gets through and what does not. Uh, Elon Musk and whoever he staffs Twitter with will be the latest gatekeepers. And hopefully they will, uh, come at it with less of an agenda that I believe has been on that platform for the longest while. I just like free form, just like hanging out, just like, uh, discussing and, and, uh, and, 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 and having it be less, I, I just don't believe in deplatforming people. And that's all I'll say on, on my regards to, uh, to Twitter. I believe it used to be like a bunch of playgrounds and we all we're yelling and shouting and sharing, but the the, the gatekeeper is the thing I really want to focus on. He is going to obviously act, if he purchases Twitter, as its new gatekeeper, and there will be new gatekeeper. Uh, it'll be a new era for a new gatekeeper. In the entertainment world, much of what you see, much of what breaks through and what does not break through is because of the gatekeepers. Uh, hugely influential cartoonist that we have not spent enough time discussing on the show is named Jeff Smith. His name is Jeff Smith and his property is called Bone. And Bone is a very cute, uh, adorable uh, fantasy creature in a really amazing fantasy world. I, I When I read it in the early 90s, I thought this is like a new level J.R.R. Tolkien you know, fantasy masterpiece. And there's all manners of different uh, fantastic magic and creatures. And Bone is this incredible world. And over the last several years... Jeff has had so many different opportunities to bring Bone to life as uh, an animated feature, and he himself uh, took to the internet to share a cartoon that he did over the last this last weekend. When Netflix, another platform with gatekeepers uh, of whom they have, you know, that they, that they, they they dipped their toe in the water following Marvel uh, taking back all their properties from Netflix with the launch of Disney Plus. They uh, dip their toe into more kind of superhero fare. They haven't found anything yet that is quite sticking, but the, uh, the 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 bone animated movie or series was set to come from Netflix, and we were all very excited about it. And then it got uh, revealed in the Twitter, uh, I'm sorry, in the in the Netflix kind of downturn of news when their stock. Uh, dropped. And yes, you guys, I just mentioned stock and stock drops. And did these affect us? They do. They do. That's part of the fun of the show. This is the kind of stuff that I love to get together and talk with my friends. And it is the kind of stuff that we do discuss. So I don't, um, I'm not shy about bringing it here to an episode of Rob Observations because it deserved to be aired and the ramifications deserve to be weighed. But Twitter got some, <laughs> I keep calling Netflix Twitter. Netflix got some bad news in that their growth had slowed. Okay. Will they recover? Uh, i'm sure they will I, I it's a bump in the road but every day at the stock market is a million different bumps and a million different roads and the stocks go up and the stocks go down and when it people's when it's people's money uh you know no matter rich or poor they're going to pay attention and they are going to pay attention to the impact of that fluctuation and, and, and how much money they're either gaining or they're losing I mean my son for I didn't see him all weekend. He was out. He was visiting, doing doing fun stuff and he uh he informed my wife and I the brief, you know, inter- interchange that we exchanged that we had with him today that he'd been buying stocks all weekend, buying stuff that was low with the earnings that he has. And so, you know, again that was like, "Oh, cool." you know, the stock market and, and he was telling us the different companies that he was looking into and, and buying. So, so in, 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 in regards to Rob observations and the gatekeepers and bone, what, what happened is that Netflix was under a tremendous pressure to give some good news following the bad news. The bad news is our growth, our growth has, has scrolled <laughs> Our growth has slowed. Woo. It's early today. Our growth has slowed and as a result of the slow growth, we are going to contain costs on the other end to back, you know, to kind of uh, uh, balance the 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 news that you're you're getting that you don't like in in that we aren't punching through to another level of subscribers. And because I talked to another buddy on another platform and said, hey, how, how did you take this this news? And he was very honest. He said, look, they've been promising bigger growth than they can sustain and finally it caught up with them. And that's really the the long and the short of it. Netflix is still a monster. It has the most subscribers of all the platforms, but the investors want growth, growth, growth. So when they don't get that, Netflix then says, well, we have to slow down and we have to stop spending money. Now, whether that was the reason it seemed conveniently timed as part of the kind of package of cuts that was released that the bone animated series wasn't going forward. And Jeff, Jeff, Showed us all a cartoon. It's um, very much based on a Charles Schultz peanut, Peanuts cartoon, with uh, with the uh, with with with, with uh, Charlie Brown always trying to kick the football. And now he did it with his character Bone. And with each, uh, there was a Hollywood entity that was informing him that no, it's going to be great. We're going to do it as a movie. Movies. We got a new new, new deal. We want to make it. And then of course it doesn't happen. And then it's no, it's streaming. Streaming. It's a new platform. We're going to make it. You know. And it gets pulled. Uh, he just showed all the different promises from all the different gatekeepers that he's been made along the way and they don't come through. And then I've seen other cartoonists uh, in, in this morning sharing this, saying, hey, if you want to know why this hasn't been made or my property hasn't been made. Eric Larson specifically used it to inform people if you, you know, want to know why a Savage Dragon movie hasn't been made. And so many people who have been in this um, world can, can relate to this. Um, you know, I myself... That there was tremendous influence. Uh, uh, that that it, in, in terms of, I had fans at this company, New Line Cinema in the in the mid '90s, and they bought Bad Rock, and they bought Evangeline, and they immediately turned to really great talent to turn those scripts into, you know, th- th- those comics into scripts that would be film that would be films. The Whites Brothers uh, wrote; they had written Ants and uh they they really had a great great take on bad rock it was a great fun take they turned the script around really fast two brothers are really talented what they went on to do instead was the american pie trilogy of comedies that they obviously did uh, extremely well on and uh the brothers the whites brothers split up over the years and have continued to create great amazing entertainment but That script was so great, but someone changed offices upstairs. A new executive was in charge at New Line from the period that it was bought and the period that it was going to, you know, pull the trigger. And this was also in the period that people don't like to discuss because they want the main reason they don't want to discuss is they want to rewrite the history of it, which is impossible. Batman and Robin, with Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, was kind of seen as such a giant flop, and I've mentioned here on multiple observations, going through every studio in the 90s. I had meetings and options at Fox, at Paramount, at Sony, uh, at Universal, all of them, and they all really did not have a working understanding of comic book movies. They did not want to make them, which means they didn't, when I say they didn't want to make them, they didn't want to allocate any of the budget that they had to make a uh, an allotment, an assortment, uh, a lineup of films. They didn't want to put those money into comic book movies. They wanted to do as little as possible because that's not what they were interested in. They just didn't see the value. They wanted to make rom- romantic comedies. They wanted to make horror films. They wanted to make, you know, um, Man Against Terrorists on a Train, Man Against Terrorists in a Building, Man Against Terrorists on a Boat, Man Against Terrorists on a Bus. I mean, you know, that entire kind of lone action hero against the odds was really the action du jour Then it was, you know, us against aliens after the, uh, giant, you know, uh, explosion of independence day and men in black in back-to-back summers. They really just did not believe I would sit there and, it, and, and, and one lone executive would be putting his neck out against three other executives above him. We're like, why, why are we making this? And so the justification of it became even more difficult. I mean, good God. I had a, I had the biggest star in the world at the time. In Will Smith, hot off Independence Day and Men in Black. Don't look at him through the recent lens. Look at him through that lens. Bad Boys, Independence Day, Men in Black. The guy was box office gold. He was going around town trying to fire up the production interest in making this movie called The Mark that I tailor-made first for Tom Cruise and then retrofitted it for Will Smith. We couldn't get it off the ground. That's when I knew how truly difficult it was. Marvel had successfully optioned you know X-Men and again they they cut the budget on that. I think the original X-Men probably was around 60-65 million dollars, nowhere near the 100 million that you would expect to make in a live action film circa 1999. But uh, they did the best they could and 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 that franchise did really well at that budget with that cast, with that filmmaker, with those producers, and they were off to the races. X-Men 2 got a lot more money because X-Men 1 worked kind of in spite of Fox's own lack of belief in it and then the X-Men, you know, franchise was born and it was exploited and and it went on to make it went on to become the number 1 franchise for the studio. Once they took a dip and 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 they found it refreshing, they wanted to do more. And that's how it went. I mean, they greenlit those Fantastic Four movies. They greenlit the Daredevil movies. I mean, Fox went all in on the comic book movie movement prior to the MCU happening and Kevin uh, Feige over at uh, you know, Marvel was absolutely uh, on board early on as a producer on all those films alongside Avi Arad, who was one of the first uh, you know, big name producers to get to be getting these through. They got through the gatekeepers, the gatekeepers finally they punched through. It was not the blade film. The blade film was not marketed as a superhero film. A comic book film whatsoever. It was a horror film, a vampire film. It had Wesley Snipe starring in it. It was a vehicle that, had he not activated it, and most people believed it only worked because of him, it was a star vehicle. He was a big, giant action star, making two to three action stars, uh, action movies a year. He was making them with Sean Connery. He was making them with all manner of big uh, names. And then, you know, when he turned his sights to Blade, it did very well, but it did not start a comic book movie. And I revisited here, Hugh Jackman after filming and wrapping the X-Men being told by his manager, don't tell anybody, you know, when you go for these new, new, um, auditions, don't tell them you just did a comic book movie. Don't, don't, don't do that. You know, don't share that. And he shared that, uh, with the press last summer. And it's like, so, so that right there really just again, undermines, uh, this, 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 the truth not undermines it underscores, excuse me. It underscores the truth uh, that the X-Men was the franchise that punched it through blade was successful, but it did not create any echo. There was no bunch of movies greenlit on the back of blade. Batman and Robin had really, I think people had been looking for a failure so that they could not buy comic book films anymore. Again, I was there, I was in the rooms. I mean, you guys, I was meeting with all manners of different directors from Steven Spielberg to, uh, you know, to James Cameron, to Rennie Harlan, uh, who, who you know, this was before Rennie would fall off Die Hard 2, was a giant hit. And that that is uh, the time period that I met him between that and uh, and Cliffhanger. And, you know, big-time producers, Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, I'm meeting with Tony Scott, I'm, I'm meeting with Ridley Scott, I'm meeting with John Woo. I mean, these are name talents, and everyone was always kind of, Trying to figure out how to push forward the comic book movie, and you see how difficult it is because even at, at Warner Brothers, once they decided, yes, let's try and emulate what's going on with Marvel. You know, they couldn't. Marvel had a plan; they were executing it. They also cut their teeth on all those X Men movies and all those Spider Man movies. So they broke through, and if you don't think that they have, and we'll we'll get this get to this in another podcast because I was really I was planning on doing a dedicated version of this and it may be one of the next couple is is those years in 2018 to 2019 that marvel so flexed so dominated what was that all about it there, there was more to it than just earnings it was a absolute uh grandstanding of success that was meant to really annihilate the comp the competitors make it harder for anyone to compete with them We'll discuss that at another time. Gatekeepers. You get a gatekeeper that believes in you. In Hollywood, they generally only have a certain clock. I mean, at right now, I believe, at Netflix, Bone being one of the sad byproducts, but I mean, you know, they, they apparently they paid $30 million for Mark Miller's catalog, Miller World, and after canceling Jupiter's Legacy and hiding, it seemed like they hid super crooks they are not going further on any of those properties uh it they they definitely seem as if they are now going to reevaluate their position and move um with with a new maybe maybe a new plan maybe a new plan because in the time that netflix has slowed what's happened is disney even paramount plus and hbo max have made tremendous gains in the space they're signing up subscribers Every subscriber does not maintain with an existing subscription. You have to keep, it's called the churn. They literally call it the churn. This was broken down to me five years ago. They want to keep you churning. That's why they want to immediately, when you finish a series, recommend three more that you like. That's called the churn. Are you part of the churn? C-H-U-R-N. The churn, okay? They got to keep you churning. Every single one of these platforms does this when you finish moon knight it tries to roll you into the eternals on netflix if you finish vikings valhalla they want you to do the last kingdom or one of the other vikings you know um you know shows and then they kind of just start figuring that you're into action adventure and they start throwing all those your your way um HBO Max, they all do the same thing. They are all trying to, when you finish The Peacemaker, they want you to watch the suicide films. The churn, the churn, they want to keep you on board. They want to keep you invested so that you don't go visit another channel and that you don't go churn there. Because when it comes time to renew, they want to make sure that you're associating your churn with them. C-H-U-R-N, like churning the butter. And uh, so Netflix, with its... uh, Look, Netflix has one giant, massive awesome, devastating franchise. It's called Stranger Things. It's um, been hampered by putting many years in between installments, and I have no doubt that this summer when Stranger Things comes back, I mean, I'm super excited over Easter. I had a 22-year-old, well, not 22-year-old, he's 21. I had a 21-year-old, a 19-year-old, and an 18-year-old. I mean, all adults expressing their excitement over the stranger things trailer. They wanted to watch it on the big screen. They wanted me to crank the volume. They wanted to hear that remix of, uh, you know, the, 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 the journey song. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, separate ways. It, it's a great remix too. I I know you guys have already seen it. Everyone's seen this trailer. So, you know how great that trailer is. They, they've done a really good job. It's going to, it's going to help boost Netflix profile. We should not be crying for Netflix again. What did my competitive platform guy tell me? They're, the number one. Netflix is number one. But again, your investors want to keep you. Remember the Paul Levitts quote from DC Comics when he told me they love being number two. Number two is the best. No one ever expects you to be number one. No one ever asks you, why, why weren't we number one again this month? Just, I'm the best number two there ever was, is Paul Levitts quote to me in San Diego at Comic-Con. And there was some, there was some, there was really some wily, uh, thinking and and scrutiny in in that in that statement, but uh, so so yeah, I've just thought a lot about Twitter is about to enter a new gatekeeper, uh, gatekeepers. You should know make all the difference in the world. Gatekeepers are why you don't get certain things. Gatekeeper is why Bad Rock and Evangeline didn't happen. Did you know that I was hired to write after I sold my spec script of the of the Mark? The president of Newline read it. He. Called me up, said, I think this is great. I want you to take over Evangeline and you to write your own comic book adaptation. I did, and I handed it in, and I got paid, and he got let go. Uh, this was right before New Line went on their um, Lord of the Rings run. And uh, they just had a change in management. And, and when that happens, the new guy, just like a coach, just like a GM, wants to come in and transform the team with their own players. Same in, same in the entertainment. New guy comes in, wants to transform. We've covered how Warner Brothers slash DC Comics has had three bosses in six years. I mean, you guys, that's a lot to deal with. You're mostly, during that time, dancing, trying to, you know, please each of these different overlords. Because that's dramatic. We like saying overlords. It feels dramatic. Um, and, uh, you know, not, not as much creativity is going to be kind of generated from within at that point given that you're just trying to find out what the new boss likes so that you can please the new boss so you can continue what you're doing and what you're doing is your job and your job is your livelihood and you can figure it out from there you get it so yeah gatekeepers gatekeepers deserves its own episode gatekeepers is why we get certain things the topic that we're going to discuss today the um this amazing captain america run uh, there's, there's a little bit of gatekeepering going on here, but I don't think it's the entire reason, but we're going to, we're going to get to it. But, but the larger role of the gatekeeper, the guy in the suit and tie, the guy in the, you know, in, 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 in the golf shirt, he is the guy who she is the woman. Uh, they are the, the group that can often determine why you get a taste of one thing and why you get a taste of another or, or don't get Either, okay? So we'll get back into that uh, in the near future. The thing, again, with... Um, look, we encounter gatekeepers. Wrap up on gatekeepers here. I've shared with you guys several times how, not just comic books, but when I was, I was really into music, bought a ton of music as a teenager, and when the new Duran Duran album came out, in 1987, I ran to the Tower Records to buy it, and I'd been buying Duran Duran since 1981 with their, you know, original release and followed up huge you know, huge fan, love their music, always good for a a, 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 a listen in the car. And, uh, you know, I, I, I listen to everything. I, I, I listen to rock, country, metal, British, you know, R&B, pop, all of it. So I was going to the counter and the guy who was more punk rock adorned. And uh, I, I, I feel like he was a poser. He's kind of a nerdy guy, but he had done the He had the piercings in his ears and his nose and he had the, and he goes, huh, you like this stuff, huh? And it was an immediate put down and a challenge. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a big fan. He's like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, why can't you just ring me up? Again, my buddies and I have talked at the clothing store. If there's a clothing store, many of the ones that I had frequented during that time, if you brought up a sock or a shirt to buy, they'd be like, hey, do you want a pair of socks or a tie? that I can sell you that they have hanging behind them in your view. Um, At the record store, the guy was clearly trying to gatekeep me, you know, insult my purchase. I've been in comic stores in the late 90s. I went to a comic store that I really liked. This one owner was very peculiar. He loved to, it was very common knowledge that this guy was a serious furry guy. He was going to furry parties. The best take I've ever seen on the furries in the early 2000s, CSI, the original CSI team, the Las Vegas based show they did a uh, they did an investigation into i think a murder or a something that happened with furries and if you don't know furries well we're, we're really branching out today they dress up in like you know animal costumes and do all sorts of stuff that go beyond just dancing and grinding but uh the owner of this comic store was very peculiar he was a known furry guy this is a couple years before he sold the store but his staff had become increasingly hostile to me, but they'd been hostile to me since I broke in. They'd been hostile to me in the late 80s. So all the way through the 90s, I never was really welcomed in this store. You'd be like, well, why do you go to the store? Hey, man, I just need the product. I just need the comic books. I'm going to go to, you know, the most convenient place at any given time. I, I I don't need somebody to worship me. I don't care if you hate me. If you have the product I need, I'm going to go in and I'm going to give you money, okay? Now, I'm not going to be thrilled about it. I'm probably going to spend less money if you're scorning me, okay? Yes, there is a... There's a downside to that, but but not entering the store at all is not an option for me. So I went in to buy uh, comics. And like I said, from the beginning, in the, like, 88 89, I'd been in comics for a couple of years. This, this There was a guy, blonde haired, uh, you know, uh, uh, really kind of, yeah, he looked like he was trying to pull off like a semi, somewhat punk meets heavy metal look. And he'd always go, yeah, how you doing? So so you're still working in comics? I mean, it's it's that kind of stuff. And you're like, "Uh, yes, and I'll happily swipe my card and buy my stuff and get out of here. Well, towards the end of the 90s, he's still there, and he's become even more disgruntled, and now he's dressing like the Matrix. It's 90 degrees, you know, on an August afternoon in 1999. The Matrix came out in April, and he's got his leather duster, as he is ringing me up, his long leather duster, the collar up. I'm just laughing, reimagining it. And behind this counter, when I get there, they have my art on the wall. They have my art on the wall from an upcoming project of mine that was teased. And there's like drawings on it and arrows, and they're clearly marking it. And and, and I kid you not. So I'm I'm in front of the register, and I'm giving him my books. And it was a big assortment, big week. I remember. I think like like uh, 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 Chris Claremont was coming back to the X Men. Cable was in the lineup with a weird kind of half mask, and it was when he was wielding his spear. Maybe it was with Adam Kubert. I think Art Adams was doing some of the covers. But that was one of the books I was buying. And uh, you know, uh, I, I think I think you know Peter David was writing Captain Marvel with Chris Cross. Remember Chris Cross? Not that rap act, but the. Artists, these are, these are books that I remember purchasing in this purchase. An issue of Hulk. Peter David was getting some run from me at this time. So so, I, I'm, I'm buying my comics, and it is clearly in, like, I hadn't been there in a couple of weeks. I look up, and there's my art, the double pager. It's there. They're mocking it. The guy had such a smile of satisfaction as he realized that I'd seen it. But what am I going to do? I'm not going to react. I'm like, just I'm almost out of here. Just ring me up. And he's like, hey, how's it going? You got anything coming out? He asked me and I'm like, give me a break. I said, oh yeah, always busy. Just kind of give the, you know, basic answer. Gave my credit card, ran my purchase, got my comics and I just smiled and laughed. But the, the delight that he had in realizing that I had seen their insult to me, that's gatekeeping. They are being unwelcome to me in their store, mocking, whatever, whether it's tower records or the comic book store. And you can decide again, how you interact, whether you go to that store, buy their products, how much you buy, you know, you can be offended. You can boycott that's in your means too. That's kind of wearisome and tiresome for me. Again, convenience is everything. And even if I don't like you, um, as long as I know you're not spitting in my burger, I'm going to buy my food there. Okay. So, so gatekeeping comes in many forms. Let's see how the Netflix gatekeeping, uh, you know, changes because a couple people who they they said were on their way out now have to reevaluate. Are they leaving? Does this mean they have to stay? Um, they, they were they look, were really looking to, to jump. Um, I read an article this morning about Netflix. You know, struggling to hold on to people because can you believe it? In in, in this is in um this is in uh, what's it called bloom, uh, not Reuters, um, but but the 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 uh, a financial magazine that I was reading. Uh, was was talking about how Netflix was having an identity crisis in the last week since this report came out, and that many of the people are on their way out because working for Netflix was seen as the coolest job ever. And if, how can it be the coolest job job ever if suddenly people, you know, they're they're they're, they're you know either a laughing stock or they're not signing up as many subscribers or their stock is dropping? It's like this crisis, and then there many of them who are paid in stock options alone are panicking. And they want, you know, more stock added given that their, you know, stock as of last week is worth less. This is, these are crazy times and this is all driven by what we watch and how much we watch it. Twitter, Netflix, new gatekeepers, influx, maybe, maybe, you know, it just, it just feels like things are changing. We'll, we'll talk about it again. Cause look, Twitter is where I promote a lot of my comic book stuff. I discover comic book stuff. Um, I give recommendations. I receive recommendations. I follow tons of comic book artists and writers. So Twitter has an actual application to the comic books that I make, that I enjoy, that I share, that I create. So again, it's worth discussing and we will keep an eye on that. The Captain America run that I wanted to discuss today is one of the greatest and one of the saddest subsequently of any that I ever encountered. And it is a wildly, wildly praised, wildly acclaimed, many times reprinted, Um, It is heralded as nothing short of a brilliant run, classic run uh, on the Captain America comic. I do not discuss it enough. It is by a name that will be familiar to you. His name is John Byrne. He was working with one of his good friends named Roger Stern, Stern and Byrne. This came out and this run on Captain America started in the uh, during the last year of John Burns uh, X-Men run. And they kind of ran, you know, they 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 coincided. And uh it's it's only nine issues. This entire run uh is, is a nine issue uh run on the book that that uh sadly again just kind of uh ends too soon and the first issue is, is issue two forty seven of Captain America And it was a big deal in the fan circles that, that John Byrne straight from his giant X-Men fame was going to be pivoting and teaming with Roger Stern, who we had, you know, read some of his work all around Marvel, but this was like the biggest pairing kind of that he had had because most of the stuff that Byrne had been so celebrated for was the stuff that he had done with Chris Claremont, who in, in addition to the X-Men, it wasn't just the X-Men that Claremont and Byrne had done during that entire, during that, same period they had done an extended year on marvel team up again one of marvel's top selling books at the time with spider-man and a a vast array of guest stars so john was really known with creating these tremendously successful collaborations with chris claremont well now he's collaborating with roger stern who is a writer we're all going to like a whole lot more as a result of this because this stuff is really really well written it is um Captain American consecutive issues, nine consecutive issues running from Captain America, 247, 248, 249, 250, 251, 252, 253, 254, and then 255, which was just sad as it was the last issue, nine issues and they were gone. I want to discuss part of what led to the changing of the guard, uh, because th- this was like, wait, what do you mean? What do you mean Captain America is going to be coming out? From burn and star anymore they did three really great memorable kind of uh storylines uh the, the 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 last issue is kind of a standalone issue 250 is a standalone but the first storyline uh deals uh you know with with this uh very interesting interesting plot uh it, it involves baron strucker it involves the dragon man it is uh, really super fun. Uh, just oh, I'm just flipping through these pages right now. It's a really fun excursion um, through 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 uh, a lot of caps. Nick Fury's you know on on the scene. Um, great action action pack. There's a character named Machine Smith who is in the first Baron Strucker issue, and uh, and he proves to be kind of a guy pulling the strings in this first story arc and of course the, the great cover we love this stuff we love when we see uh familiar uh kind of team-up components and the the uh the cover to issue 249 is cap battling against a spider-man robot a thing robot we see a magneto robot um it's it's like you know the the thing robot it's a, it's the thing and his arms are outstretched It's very clearly the thing from the Fantastic Four, and, and John Byrne had done some fill-ins on Fantastic Four prior to this. We know what John's thing looked like. And then Spider-Man, they're both just missing their heads and their faces. But it's Spider-Man's costume, body, head, he's missing his face. But it's like, who's? it? why is Cap battling these other robots that look like Marvel characters? And in the background, Machine Smith is, you know, directing all of it. And so Machine Smith was the guy, again, the dragon, the Dragon Man was an android. He's the big featured character, which surprisingly provides for a great action sequence and, and conflict in in the second chapter in issue two forty eight. But two forty seven is great. It's got you know Nick Fury and Shield interacting with Cap, and then Baron Strucker uh, battles. But the Baron Strucker that that we think is Baron Strucker, who is an old you know foe of Cap's, turns out to um, blow up and be this robot that was sent from Machine Smith. So this is what sets up the mystery and more battles with androids and robots and Smith. And let me tell you something. As far as artwork goes, Cap's never looked better. There, full stop. Cap has never looked better. Uh, John Byrne paired with the finisher, embellisher, Joseph Rubenstein, who had a slightly different touch and approach, a more Neil Adams, more rendered um, finish on top of John Byrne. It, it is this most beautiful, beautiful, final result i mean the minute you see these these pages you would see these in a pages in a comic book today and you'd flip out they're so polished and and pretty and rendered and the storytelling is so clean the action the gestures are so dynamic um let me tell you something as a collector as a diehard collector of john burn artwork captain america pages from this nine issue run they do not surface i have had a couple guys try and share with me like one guy's like oh, it's not Cap, you know, it's only Steve Rogers on the page, but it's from that run. Don't you want it? And it's for this exorbitant price. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, If I'm going to get a Captain America page, I want Captain America on. I want him, you know, preferably with his shield battling. And there's no shortage of these pages, you guys. In the book, I mean, he's battling and fighting and with his shield and doing awesome, amazing things all the time. It's just There's no record of these pages being on the market. I have been hunting them for years and they just do not come up. Uh, Cap 251 features kind of a shot that you've seen. It's a splash page with Cap overlooking the city with one leg up on the um, ledge and the one down. You have seen this uh, famously replicated several times by Mike Zeck and then a Batman and a Superman that reflect this exact image by Jim Lee on DC covers. And this is the first time I remember seeing it with the dramatic character standing atop, you know, the building looking out over the city. And I mean, it is exactly John Byrne got there first, did this first, and then it has been oftentimes uh you know, replicated, never truly duplicated. But again, this run is full of amazing imagery, amazing art, brilliant drawing. Uh the 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 standalone fiftieth issue was very thoughtful and it dealt with uh, Cap running for president. Now the team, it's it's one issue, and it really thoughtfully discusses how the country would react if the biggest patriotic beacon in the in the Marvel universe, uh, ran for president. And so this really created a, a, a terrific opportunity um, to to explore, you know, what if this symbol of liberty would run for, you know, president of the United States. And 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 they did an admirable, wonderful job. And, you know, I want you to read it. I don't want to spoil it for you. But it's, Cap is approached by, you know, a group of people who really want him to consider running for president. His reaction to some reporters gets it splattered on the front page. And as a result, everyone's like, oh my gosh, we could do so much with you. And, uh, and again, there's a big splash page with the guy holding up the newspaper. It says, third-party Biggie says Avenger will run on independent platform. Well, he discusses this with the Avengers. He discusses it with his girlfriend. He discusses it with his friends. You know, there's a sequence that I love. I love when they get the Marvel, whenever during this time, and, and, and both George Perez and John Byrne were the guys who did this the most. They would give you other people's... Um, they would go and kind of take a sequence of a sequence of panels or pages and dance you through the Marvel Universe as they all react. Nick Fury is reading the newspaper saying, um, I better make sure I'm registered. You know, as, as Dumb Dumb Dugan says, what do you think, Nick? And he says, I better make sure I'm registered, implying he's going to vote for Cap. And then it's got Daredevil saying, well, he'll probably make a better president than Foggy made district attorney. Speaking of his partner in the law firm. Spider-Man is hanging upside down going, funny, I didn't think of Captain America as a political type. Then it's got Dr. Strange with the newspaper floating in front of him as he's lounging in his chair with the, the, you know, the, the, the paper suspended via his magic says, interesting. I pray to the Vashanti that he makes the right decision. It ends with J. Jonah Jameson saying in response to his editor saying, are we going to endorse cap? He goes, I don't know, Robbie. I, I just don't know. So, so, uh, you know, the, uh, he then goes to a classroom, talks to kids, but at the end, he speaks at a uh, you know, national convention to give everyone his answer and expand on why he has chosen the path that he's chosen. It's really thoughtful. It's a response to the fact that there was a couple people within Marvel at the time that wanted to dance with a longer Captain America campaign running for president. At the time, this is when Ronald Reagan was running against Jimmy Carter. Uh, Reagan, a... Governor of California, famously an actor prior to that, was seen as a giant leap and a long shot, but won, uh, you know, decisively, and then landslide the second time. I mean, R- Reagan only increased in popularity. And uh, the bottom line was uh, was that uh, it would, you know, there were people who really wanted to make Captain America a part of an extended political run in the comics and see how that played out. I mean, they'd already done stuff. I've, I've done a dedicated episode to how when Cap got super political under the Steve Englehart run, and he had, he gave up being Captain America due to the um, flat out due to Steve Englehart's reaction to Watergate, and then he introduced a Watergate type scenario in the pages of Captain America that found Steve Rogers giving up the Captain America identity. You should look that episode. Up, I did it earlier uh, this year. Earlier in what we call season three, uh, it, it 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 is a political. I think when Marvel got political is maybe in the title. You guys should check that out. From there, we go full on the adventure of Mister Hyde and Betrock Dalipa, and uh, great two episode, just just slam bam action packed. They're kind of acting as terrorists and uh, Cap is is up against two super foes and it's great action. Uh really fun uh j- just really super fun comic book action just told across two really simple simple issues. The the most the the probably the most favored issues in this line are Captain America. You can hear me flipping these pages, Captain America two fifty three two fifty three and two fifty four. It finds uh, Captain America returning to London. Uh, It it finds him meeting up with old friends and revisiting much of what occurred during his time with the Invaders. The Invaders was a really popular comic at Marvel Comics that came out in the 70s, and it showed the adventures of Cap, Namor, Human Torch. Human Torch was an android back then. He had a sidekick, another flaming kind of protege named Toro. Uh, They also had all manner of different Uh, members join the team and interact with them and uh along the way there was a british superhero named union jack who is one of my absolute favorite uh characters in marvel period union jack is amazing union jack uh has grown old in this story and his estate and what's happening is they have come under the uh terror of an old invaders villain called baron blood this vampire and uh Nazi vampire, no less. And it is like a great action horror uh uh episode as he haunts this manor, and uh we we, it's it's kind of a murder mystery. And of course, uh you know, Union Jack having grown old while Cap didn't, because Cap was in suspended animation. There's someone new who takes on Union Jack's identity, they team up to take down Baron Blood. It is better than I'm making it sound right now. It is really fantastic. It is a tense, got more horror elements, more mystery elements. They really tell you it's not like the Batroc, the Leaper, and Mr. Hyde kind of, you know, you get this combination of agility and super, you know, monster strength in these two terrorists who are going up against Captain America's ability and and desire to thwart their plan, which involves bombs and, you know, New York Harbor to this great international mystery that revisits the invader's era has Steve go back to London meet with um you know this entire family this estate I don't want to blow it all for you barren blood is great there's a very violent act that occurs that I don't want to spoil that was kind of like wow cap when pushed is super capable the last issue of this magnificent run that had fans just going crazy and 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 they were really push uh sales were going going crazy going up it was the uh 50 i think the 55th anniversary issue 255 of captain america was the i'm sorry the 40th anniversary forgive me 255 that's why i said 55th 255 is the 40th anniversary of captain america that specific issue has a great frank miller cover and the interior and and supposedly according to roger stern they had not told caps retold his uh, origin in years and here they do just that they do an extended 22 page retelling of uh, Captain America and 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 the choices that he made and young Steve Rogers and being transformed and you will see aspects of this 1980 comic in the very first Chris Evans uh, you know MCU film the, the original Captain America the first adventure you're like but that's Jack Kirby and Joe Simon's you know work it is 100% make no doubt. They just do a little, they, they take that work and they expand on it, given that they have the, you know, benefit of time and they can look back and see where they want to tweak and add different aspects into, you know, the telling of the origin. And they do that and it's fun and it's really expanded. And the art is again, as good as any issue of Captain America ever published. And then it was over this expansive retelling of Cap, Cap's origin, his history in the Marvel universe is joining up with the Avengers. his acclimating to a new time, being a man out of time, out of place. It's over. Roger Stern and John Byrne are done. It would be like Frank Miller leaving after one year on Daredevil or, you know, the sav the, the international, uh, period that the year that the X-Men, uh, were, were in Magneto's val- volcano, battled to get out, emerged on the other side in the Antarctic, in savage, in the savage land. Then, they went to Japan. They went to Canada. They met Alpha Flight in Japan. They 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 teamed with Sunfire. They bought. They battled Moses Magnum. They finally they were making their way home. And Professor Xavier had believed the entire time they're dead. So when you interact with Xavier back home, and the few people that uh, remain are at the school, they, they all are under the, you know, notion that again, before cell phones, before computers, that the X Men died in that collapsed volcano battling Magneto. That is the summer that transformed the X-Men. That is when the X-Men went from bi-monthly to monthly. It is a period that every X-Men fan remembers so fondly. If if they had left after one year, after that international travel of Antarctica, Japan, Canada, all of these were three to two issues each, and then landed finally back home in New York. If, if that had been it, the fans would have gone out of their mind. Well, the same thing was with this Captain America run, so why did it end, okay? Um... I'm going to give you uh, a couple of different versions. I'm going, to, I'm going to, I'm going to, start here and, uh, I am going to, uh, share with you the, the, an interview, <clears throat> uh, uh, with, which in 2002, this is in 2002 what the writer Roger Stern said, as he looked back over his young, over his run. Yes. In 2002, uh, I think it was Newsarama, one of the websites wanted to look back and celebrate the nine issue Captain America run. It says Captain America, uh, Roger's turn looks back at his Captain America run with John Byrne, November 28th, 2002, a nine issue Captain America run with vampires, presidential aspirations, and more by Matt Brady. It says it was a different time shadowed by the mists back in the day. The USSR wasn't on our radar much. Iran was the United States mortal enemy. We were in the midst of an energy crisis and OJ Simpson was in comic books as a spokesman for Dingo Cowboy Boots and probably had yet to buy his first pair of Bruno magalis Okay, so their tenure together on the title only lasted nine issues. From 247 to 255, their run was and still is one of Cap's greatest adventures. It was Captain America, a brief shining moment under the creative influence of Roger Stern, writer Roger Stern and penciler John Byrne. For Roger Stern, the job of writing Captain America came just after he had decided to hang up his editorial hat at Marvel and write comics full-time. Roger Stern says, I had been a, he tells Newsarama, <clears throat> again, this is in 2002, this is 20 years ago, <clears throat> as they are looking back on his run fondly. I had been an editor of Captain America for a couple of years in the late 70s. Despite the efforts of several writers and artists, often under battlefield conditions, given deadlines, I was never able to get the kind of stories that I really wanted in the book. That's not to say that the stories were bad. As I recall, some were really good, but Cap stories should be great. When I finally left the editorial grind to write full-time, I suggested I would write Cap as it was put-up-or-shut-up time for me. Being young and foolish, I figured, I'll just do it. Fortunately, I had John Byrne there every month, making everything look so good. The two began work with Captain America 247, entitled By the Lights Early Day, teaming Cap with Dum-Dum Dugan and Nick Fury, and uh, again, it talks about their adventures with machines, with with, uh, with machine smith. Um, you know, uh, it says something. Byrne and Stern worked to flesh out during their run was Captain America's place in the modern world, a common theme in the series that gets revisited every now and then. In the days when the issues came out, Marvel would often survey their readers, and in issue of two fifty of Captain America, twenty six percent of the readers responded saying that dealing with modern life was the biggest problem facing Captain America. At the same time, 20% of respondents said that the Iran situation was the nation's number one problem at the time. So this is something that they looked at as they would depict Cap stories. Cap's the classic man out of time superhero, Roger Stern, says here in this interview. Here's a guy who even then was physically younger than me, but part of my father's generation. He was a child of the Depression and a man of the Second World War. Those two events had a profound effect on the world. They created the America that we lived in at the time. He's Captain America. It would be criminal to ignore his past. Cap is fascinated by the world that he awoke to to find. He's certainly disappointed by some of the turns that we've taken along the way and frustrated by some of the things that he and we have lost. But human nature did not change while he was out of the picture. The technology is what's different. Even though we still don't have flying cars, darn it, I'd say Cap is more concerned than worried, and he never says die. So this was their, um, their kind of application to how Cap's outlook was in their, in their book. Um, they did definitely depict, they, they gave him a new girlfriend uh, who was a uh, Jewish love interest, they point this out, named Bernie, and uh, she, uh, she would have gotten her rear kicked real bad, they said, by longtime Cap girlfriend Sharon Carter. But Sharon was quote unquote dead during this time, and Bernie cooked a great breakfast. Uh, as compared to his rather minimal life as Steve Rogers, Cap was having a swinging good time, says Roger Stern. For issue 250, the pair told a story with a high no duh factor. This is the uh, Cap running for election. The story, according to Roger Stern, began a year previously. When writer Roger McKenzie and artist Don Perlin were the creative team on Cap and Stern was an editor at Marvel, McKenzie and Perlin wanted Cap to run for office the entire year, setting up four four years' uh, worth of story. They actually wanted him to win, run and win, setting up four years' worth of stories in and around Washington, D.C. and detailing the duties of the president with Captain America. While it would have made for a great pop culture civics lesson, Roger Stern, as the editor of the book, 86 the idea, mainly due to the fact that he was not comfortable asking for readers to suspend their disbelief for that long of a period. Um, This was in the days before Magneto was given his own country to rule. Um, They wanted Cap to run for president and win, Roger Stern says. That involved more more disbelief than I was willing to suspend. I mean, the president is the most visible member of the federal government. He's on the news virtually every night. You can have Fictional members of Congress, too many people don't know the name of their own congressman or congresswoman, but everybody knows who the president is, and the readers would know that Captain America was not president. It was surreal enough that Reagan had been elected. Uh, But a year later, while chatting with Marvel's Ralph Macchio and editor-in-chief Jim Shooter, the idea came up again. Shooter suggested the story should not be about Cap running for president. It should be why he wouldn't run for president sparks flew and the story was hammered out in the end Roger Stern and John Byrne weren't trying to make a heavy-handed political comment and I can tell you from reading it they're not it's very thoughtful his speech at this convention this political convention John and I were just trying up trying to come up with a different story for issue 250 and say something about the importance of symbols and idealism Uh, so and and, and trust me I I really believe they they succeeded um, beyond their wildest imaginations it is a really thoughtful uh, standalone issue. If you just want to read issue 250, if that's all you want to read, it's a really good insight. And 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 again, I just uh, I feel like they they just completely nailed it. Um, and and I, I I I it's it's a great standalone issue. This run of theirs called War and Remembrance has been reprinted by Marvel multiple times. I think it was part of a recent epic run as well. But the actual uh, trade paperback, I have the first edition. Uh, I believe this came out in. Let's see, this came out and was uh, printed for the first time in 1990. So almost 10 years later, they printed them as as, as worn Remembrance. It has a brand new, the original printing has a brand new uh, John Byrne wraparound cover. It's really nice. <clears throat> so uh, it says that... Uh, uh, John Byrne and Roger's turn following Captain America 250 joyously played with the unlikely pairing of Batrock, the Leaper and Mr. Hyde in cap 251-252, beginning with Batrock breaking out of Riker's Island and taking Hyde with him. And uh, the, uh, the villains plotted and planned how they'd hold the entire city of New York hostage. And Stern and Byrne focused on the day-to-day life to, of Roger uh, of Steve Rogers, who, by the way, this is the first time I'd seen him. They had Steve Rogers, the private identity of Captain America, working as a commercial comic book artist. He was a freelance comic book artist drawing comic books during this time. It was fun. John Byrne would put Steve Rogers at the table drawing comic books. It was fun. It was cool. Steve, uh, oddly, um, very few found it odd that Cap, who would, spend his time fighting threats to America, would take off the mask and draw storyboards. One would think Cap's alter ego would be a little more dot, dot, dot. Wait for it. You guys are going to love this. It's part of the show. Macho! This is Roger Stern's words. Anyway, uh, they they managed to tell a great story, the two-parter complete with trademark cliffhanger ending worthy of a Republic serial, uh, with Cap chained to the front of the tanker as Hyde accelerated it to ram and aimed it at the rocks. As for the ending, well, we're not going to ruin everything for you. Issues 253 and 254. I mean, we're two issues, that like, we're three issues away from wrapping this epic run. Issues 253 and 254 reunited Captain America with his inv- invaders pals over in England. Spitfire and Union Jack, uh, they were the two invaders involved in this. The story kicked off when Lord Falsworth, the elderly alter ego of Union Jack, became convinced that their vampiric foe from World War II, Baron Blood, had returned. This grew out of a story John had originally floated when he was drawing the Avengers. He never got around to using it there. Roger had written, that's it. They had done some cool Avengers together. We never got around to using it, and I think it really worked better here as a Cap story. Uh, there was a, great, a lot of neat stuff in those old Avenger Invaders series. Both John and I were big fans. The two-part story lovingly touched on Cap's adventures with the invaders, including some rather poignant moments when the now-elderly Spitfire and Union Jack see and react to the forever young Steve Rogers. Again, it's really great when they're like, wait, you didn't age and we are the elderly now. The story also included creepy little tidbits that almost made it seem at home in a Warren Ellis story. Things such as a British government keep keeping staked vampire skeletons in the dungeons of the ta- in the dungeons of the Tower of London. Learning that the government kept them instead of destroying them outright begs interesting questions that Stern nor Burn never intended fully to answer. Uh digressions aside, the climax of the Baron Blood storyline included something pretty rare for Captain America, and I'm not going to reveal it to you. I told you, I don't want to reveal everything, but it was very brutal and it was and and what Roger Stern says is uh look, this was a really uh you know, kind of, uh, he says, uh, that, that in his response to doing this, it was a, uh, a a decision, uh, for cap that Roger Stern describes as kind of a, a a line. He, he, he reached a line that in that moment he had to realize if, if he would cross and, and of course you're going to find out if he does, um, you know, uh, uh, it, when you read these issues, they're brilliant. They stand, they, they're as good, if if not better than any comic book, these books that I'm telling you about today, than any you're going to see uh, that are being published, I think by any publisher right now. These are top line, top flight pencils, top flight inks, colors, stories, storytelling, characters, interaction, excitement. Roger Stern says it was a last resort moment for Cap. You'll find out what it is. <clears throat> Following the Baron Blood storyline, they put their spin on a classic and retold Cap's origin in issue 255 just in time for Captain America's 40th anniversary. The two fleshed out parts of the origin, adding details such as why Cap moved from a mask detached from the rest of his costume to one that's connected, and revisited classic Cap moments such as FDR giving him the round shield to replace the triangular one. Um, the, uh, the, the, The issue was shot directly from John's pencils, the entirety of issue 255, did not have an anchor. It's shot directly, and and it shows you how just ridiculously tight John Byrne uh, could pencil. And uh, it also says that, uh, you know, issue 255 gave Roger Stern a chance to retell and smooth out one of the Golden Age classic stories. It gave Byrne a chance to offer his take on scenes originally drawn and depicted by Jack Kirby. In fact, the origin story was taken directly from, obviously, Byrne's pencils. Uh, The cover is by a guy you may have heard of named Frank Miller, so Roger Stern says, it's a great story. Probably one of the six best origins ever in comics at the time and had not been retold in over a decade, and it was our chance to shine it up for a new generation of readers and to reconcile some of the variations that had cropped up over the years. Besides, Mark Grunewald challenged us to do it. I guess we did okay. That single story has been reprinted at least four times now that I know of. Sadly, the article says, the writer Matt Brady Matt Brady writes, the all-too-brief Roger Stern and John Byrne run run had ended on Captain America. It came to an end with that issue. While both were interested in continuing in, in continuing with the book, and had li- had at least one major three part story lined up, both moved on due to editorial pressure over scheduling difficulties. So here's where the drama comes in. And I'm going to give you Roger Stern is going to tell you in 2002 this version, and then I'm going to read you what he said in 2010, eight years later. Roger Stern says there was a lot of pressure on our editor to get the books on time. I think the books uh, might have been behind schedule when we had started. Anyway, our editor wanted a slot a fill-in, which I felt, Roger Stern talking here, the writer, at at the point was unnecessary. I thought a fill-in would wreck all the momentum that we had built up over nine issues, and I was confident that we could get ahead on our own. I'd even plotted all three issues of the big Red Skull story that we had planned together. I was overruled. I decided to take back my plots For the red skull three-parter tear up the vouchers and i just made a clean break i wish it hadn't ended i really really loved writing cap and don't go jumping all over our editor he's a great guy had a lot of hard decisions to make i might have done the same thing if i had been in his shoes it says here in the 20 years since the nine issue run again this is 2002 this is hilarious the ussr has dissolved and is no longer a threat Woo! that changed huh um again it's so funny because there was a period where i was pitching movies And they were like, ah, don't use the Russians. The Russians, they're not a threat anymore. And again, now, you know, what do we hear about every day is Russians, Russians, Russians. And a guy told me 12 years ago, Putin will not stop until he has, you know, brought the Soviet Union back to its full strength, brought Russia back to full power. And so this is just a little sidebar in writing, in reading what is written in this 2002 article. The USSR is dissolved and no longer a threat. The U.S. has relations with Iran that are approaching normal status. And O.J. Simpson will forevermore be, in many people's eyes, considered a murderer. This is, again, Matt Brady writing. I am reading what he wrote in this Newsarama 2002 article. While lots of things have changed in two decades, Stern can look back on those issues and still swell up with pride. He goes, I think they hold up. They, they, they're not bad, not bad at all. He said, uh, people still approach me with these at conventions wanting me to deface them with my autographs. So I guess we did okay. All right. So that was a fun, you heard it from him. Um, version of of how he viewed his time on cap and then why it ended. Well, getting straight to more the point, why it ended. He told George Corey, uh, or Corey, K H O U R Y, who famously uh, has done all these different artists, um, you know, authored all manner of articles, uh, uh, for for different magazines. George Corey directly asks Roger Stern, can you explain to us why John Byrne and you left Captain America after 255? So this is 2010. This is 2010. Let me make sure I got that right. Let me see. Uh, Yes. He tells George Corey that uh, when asked, why did your run end? He says, Rogers turn answers, this gets a little complicated. Marvel was starting to crack the whip on deadlines, and all the editors were under tremendous pressure to get their books on time. I had had, ha- I had, had some stomach trouble midway through our run on Cap, and John Byrne was about to get married. Jim Salakrup, our editor, was understandably worried that we would fall further behind. I thought we could pull ahead in just a matter of weeks. My digestion was already back to normal. I knew John's work ethic was as strong as mine. And to prove it, I sat down and plotted the next three issues straight through Jim Salakrup was still uneasy about the deadlines, and so he decided to schedule a fill-in by another writer. I pointed out that we already had a fill-in. Frank Miller had drawn a standalone story that was just ready for me to script. He says, this is in Marvel's days before royalties. I mean, this is 1980. They still don't have the royalties up and going. Marvel had what what was called a continuity bonus. If you wrote or drew six consecutive issues, you got a bonus. And so for the next six and the next, a fill-in before... Issue 258 would set all of our bonuses back that John and I had worked for. And again, this is coming at it from a business mindset. We're getting a new insight, one that he wasn't sharing with us in 2002. And it makes sense. This is totally practically applicable, understandable. Roger continues, beyond that, I was worried about losing sales and all the momentum that we had built up. We had worked so hard to keep our new readership. And I knew from my days as an editor that a fill-in will always cost you readers. Back during those early days in the direct market when a great percentage of sales were still coming from the newsstand, it was a given that sales would dip after fill-ins. It would take a book's creative team, can you believe this, three issues to get the readership back up to pre-fill-in level. I could not persuade my editor not to schedule that fill-in. Now, he will tell you, as I'm going to read finally, Jim Salaker will tell you that he was told by up on high that he had to do this and looking back if I had been in his shoes I would have probably done the same thing Roger Stern says but I wasn't in his shoes I was a freelancer I didn't like the way we were being treated I'd worked with Jim a long time and I really did not want to come to loggerheads with him so I took back all three plots tore up my vouchers stepped away from the book I figured better to leave cap on an up note with our 40th anniversary so it is completely understandable as to everything as to how everything went down in this um in this conversation, this expansive uh, answer that, that he that Roger Stern provides many years later, he he gives us a, a much uh, deeper, uh, you know, insight into why he did not continue and why they didn't continue. And again, I'm totally I totally understand. Uh, especially the continuity checks, going back to square one, losing readers, losing that um, momentum. They they felt that they ultimately had earned, as so many creators do, as I have before. You have earned the right to have the pressure put on you to see if you'll deliver. So if my digestive issues and his getting married sets us back, we will deliver the next issue in two weeks. Give us that shot. We will keep it at that same you know level of quality. If we have to stay up all night and do this, you know we'll do it. So that you've heard from the writer of of these books. And again, interestingly enough, again, in the X-Men, especially towards the middle of the extensive 30-plus issue run that Byrne and Claremont did, Byrne gets co-plotter credit. He gets co-writer credit. Roger Stern is only listed as the writer here. John Byrne is only listed as the, as the artist. John does not partake in the plots of this story. So Roger had, a, had, had an even greater voice than maybe... Uh, you know, John had had experienced with Chris. He was really comfortable, and he liked working with him. So, Jim Salakrup wrote a foreword for this War and Remembrance uh, story that they finally, the 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 Burn Stern Run War and Remembrance that they collected in 1990. He says, uh, I'll just skip right here. He said, uh, "You may may have heard of one of my semi acquaintances. His name is John Byrne. This is Jim Salakrup, the." editor on their um captain america run i've always enjoyed working with john as far as i as uh, you may have heard of my semi-acquaintance his name is john byrne i've always enjoyed working with john as far as i'm concerned he is the ideal comic book artist and writer as a comic book editor it's not difficult to become jaded to be so closely involved with the creation of superhero sagas that it spoils a lot of the magic of enjoying the finished project not so with john it's always exciting. Look at John's penciled pages as soon as they arrive. John strives to make his work not only as exciting as possible, but as new and fresh as possible. There's always something on every page that's visually interesting that you never saw a million times before in a million other comics. I've heard stories of other editors finding John difficult to work with. Generally, I've concluded that they did not know how to work with John Byrne. When John commits himself to a project, it is a total commitment. He thinks through everything from the overall direction and concept of the character to the tiniest details. If you work with John with the understanding that he wants to produce the best work possible, you will find that he is more than willing to accept any suggestion that will ultimately make the work better. In a nutshell, it's safe to say John never fails to impress. One of the unanswered questions regarding the series... The stories in this book is why Captain America 255 is the last one by the sensational Roger Stern and John Byrne. Well, since the whys and wherefores don't matter much now, I may as well just tell you. When these stories were being produced, editor-in-chief Jim Shooter decided that he didn't want to see any more continued stories other than an occasional two-parter. The only way he would let a three-parter go was if it was as good as the Galactus trilogy by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Well, always trying to be an obedient editor, I told Roger this when he proposed his three-part Red Skull story. Turns out Roger was not interested in cutting that story in any way, shape, or form, so he and John quit. That is why. That's life. Captain America had managed to continue on into the 90s without any help from any of us. Let's face it, Cap was here clobbering Nazis before Roger, John, and myself were born, and he'll probably still be around fighting for liberty and and freedom long after we are gone. There does not seem to be any hard feelings among any of us, especially since I've worked with all of the above gentlemen since Captain America on many occasions. There. Now you know. Do I ever not regret not editing Captain America anymore? Of course not. So he does not regret because he says, I've got my hands full. Editing all the Spider-Man titles. Jim would go on to be the editor that gave you Todd McFarlane's run. He hired Todd to do Spider-Man. Eric Larson, Mark Bagley. that's all Jim Salakrup. So Jim is a very accomplished guy. Um, so anyway, that th- this kind of... Uh, I gave you all these different... Angles, let me let me end with this. Jim Shooter denies 100% this notion that he would not let three-parters, okay? That's Jim Salakrup's story. He directly blames Jim Shooter. Roger Stern alludes to pressure to make deadlines and that they had fallen behind in his 2010 interview, and he says that uh, he desperately did not want that fill-in Scripted. He lays it on deadlines. Salakrup lays it on an editorial directive by Jim Shooter to not do continuing stories. Jim Shooter, I have heard in podcasts, in interviews, absolutely deny the assertion that it was because he had gone to no multi-part stories. He says that is ridiculous. And you can look at that time to see all the different multi-part stories that Marvel was producing. So I don't know who's telling the truth. All that matters is that this did not impact these gentlemen whatsoever. John Byrne goes from X-Men and Captain America to Producing six years straight consecutive Fantastic Four, he remade and reshaped the Fantastic Four for a brand new modern '80s audience. His Galactus stories, his introduction, his, his introduction of the uh, new Nova, Frankie Ray, the return of Terax, the trial of Reed Richards, uh, uh, Annihilus, his Doctor Doom stories, or Fantastic John Byrne single-handedly made Fantastic Four, one of the best comic books of the 80s, one of the best comic books of my career. He was handed the reins to write and draw and never look back. And he did six consecutive years with Jim Shooter. So I don't think it was personal with Shooter. Roger Stern would go on to continue writing The Avengers. He would write uh, Doctor Strange with Marshall Rogers in 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 a group of stories that we have yet to cover, but we are about to. These guys both went on to do another Seven, eight years worth of work with Jim Shooter. I don't believe the Captain America stuff was related to Jim because they didn't, again, take it personally. They didn't walk off in a a, a huff. They both pivoted from Cap to giving us multiple years worth of entertainment. John added to his Fantastic Four plate of six years and then did Alpha Flight for another three years. He took his very popular Alpha Flight comic book, his Canadian super team that it debuted to much acclaim and fan, just fever. I know I was one of them. I had the fever. Spun it off, and for the longest time, Alpha Flight number one was Marvel's best-selling comic. It launched at the highest that they had launched a comic in maybe forever at that time, only to be later eclipsed by Todd Spider-Man, My X-Force, Jim's X-Men, whatever. Um, so these guys hung around. They continued to do work, but this Captain America, these nine issues, you know, Um, It's about 180, 190 pages. Fantastic. Just fantastic stories. Fantastic art. You should seek it out. They've reprinted it. I'm sure you can get it digitally. Again, I think they did an epic collection with it. If you can get the original, it's fun. Uh, You may have to pay a little more for it, but the original with the wraparound cover by John Byrne is only on this edition. It is a fantastic story, but sometimes things don't go the way we want, and sometimes a creative team gets a directive, gets gets uh, gets tinkered with in a way that infuriates them and causes them to make a decision that ultimately harms the reader in that there was a while it was a while before this book recovered eventually Mike Zeck came on board with John Beatty on inks and another great writer JMD Matisse Dematis I don't know how you pronounce it forgive me but they gave us another bunch of uh, a great extended run it was it was it was bumpy getting there there's about a, a, a year of, of bumpiness, but they found their footing and it went on to new greatness. Cap was in good hands again. But this is among, if not after Jack Kirby, the best run on Captain America I have ever experienced. It was nine issues too short. And even when you interact with it, you will marvel at how beautifully it is illustrated, how well the stories are told, the character interaction, the threats, the uh, the villains. It's just... The, the, the personal little, again, the Steve Rogers quirks, his new girlfriend. I cannot highly recommend this any more. I mean, it is a 10-10-10. You will love it. I hope you guys seek it out. It is sad that it only went nine issues. We, again, examined Rogers' turn himself. He changes the story and, and and gives us, you know, a deeper insight eight years after the initial kind of reflection because it wasn't really something that was covered. They They clearly agreed at the time. You know, even Jim Salkup, from writing this says it's been enough years. I can talk about it now. It's been enough years. What what is it that he says in this in this uh, he says in this uh, in this w- one of the great questions regarding it. He says, uh, "Well, since the why's and wherefores wherefores don't matter much more now, I may as well tell you." So again, his he points to Jim Shooter. We'll never know. Was it was it the guys overwhelmed needed a deadline? You know, n- needed to fill in. Was it there are no more three-parters? You know, you get, a diff- you get a bunch of different stories. Ultimately, it cut this magnificent run. Had they continued and done another year and another year, maybe three years on Captain America, this would be held as in the same regard as Frank Miller's Daredevil run, Walt Simonson's Thor run. There is no doubt in my mind. So definitely check that out. Um, again, the gatekeepers can sometimes get in the way. We're not really quite sure who the gatekeeper was here, the editor of the AIC, but we shared it all. Make your own, um, draw your own conclusion. The greatest conclusion you can draw is that John Byrne and Roger Stern went on to work for another six, seven years, almost exclusively for Marvel Comics, making great work. Doctor Strange, Alpha Flight, The Avengers, Fantastic Four, epic, epic, epic work, fantastic work. So there you go. Grab it. John Byrne, Roger Stern, Captain America, collected underworn remembrance. I hope you partake in it. I hope that you enjoy it, even a fraction of how much that I enjoyed it when it was coming out month to month, picking it up on the newsstand. And as I've enjoyed it in the year since, cause I revisit it multiple times every year. It's just, it's just that good. So you guys know that when we reach the end of each episode, I read the reviews and the, the, the comments and the, uh, you know, the, the, the ratings that you leave for us on the platforms and Uh, I read them here at the end of every show. I appreciate it so much. We need it. We need it to stand out. It helps our visibility. It helps our um, place on the platform. It really does, and I appreciate it so much. Today, I'm going to read you a very quick because sometimes they're brief and they're they're just full of positivity, but they're brief. This one comes from Orc Trader. Yes, Orc like in Lord of the Rings. Orc like in the Hobbits. O R C. Orc Trader. He gave us. Five stars. It's called authoritative. That's the title of the review. It says, where else are you going to find one of the major comic book creators of the last 35 years talking about the industry past, present, and future? Nowhere but here. Thank you, Rob. Hey, Orc Trader. That's super kind. That's super nice. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for reading, uh, listening to this show, leaving this amazing review. Uh, It's so distinct. I'm going to read it again. Authoritative. Where else are you going to find one of the major comic book creators of the last 35 years talking about the industry, past, present, and future? Nowhere but here. Thank you, Rob. Man, this is like, this, if I had a Rob Observations poster with reviews, I would I would post this on it, like, you know, like, um, Tremendous, Gripping, Innovative, like they do for movies or television series. This is the one I would use. Orc, trader, thank you. Thank you so much, you guys. When you leave, leave these um, reviews and these ratings and these um, wonderful, positive messages i read them at the end of every show i look forward to it thank you guys for listening to the show thank you for spreading the word to your friends people are playing them in comic stores um that they, 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 they're spreading the word they're listening them in, their, in their cars you guys always tell me exactly when and where I'm, I'm about to go out on a tour in texas i'm already getting messages from people who, who are looking forward to seeing me and talking about the podcast i am so excited thank you all so much i am always online i'm all over social media on twitter i am full name robert Liefeld, at Robert Liefeld with a blue check. So, you know, it's really me talking back at you. I've had so many great discussions back and forth lately. I love it. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for interacting with me on Twitter, on Instagram. I am just Rob Liefeld, at Rob Liefeld. And I also have a blue check on there, so that you know. Again, it's really me, and not a scammer who's going to contact you and ask for some direct donation um, from your bank account or your bank information. That's happened. That's what differentiates and tells you that it's not really me because I have the blue check. It says I am legit. So don't fall for some other Rob Liefeld weirdo. Okay, don't do that. I love your comments, your messages, all the ways that you guys communicate with me. um, Your DMs. Just thank you for all the uh, interaction that you guys have given me across all of these platforms. This podcast. Rob observations with Rob Liefeld has a Facebook page. Rob observations with Rob Liefeld is the name of the page. Find it, like it, comment. I'll find it. I'll like it back. I'll comment back. I thank you so much. I have a Facebook group called Rob Liefeld and extreme group. There's a couple with extreme in it, but this, this one is called Rob Liefeld and extreme group. Look for that. Join it. Uh, we have a lot of lively discussions in there. I would I would love to see you. I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over in several different groups. Got my own Personal page, the group page, hang out with us. We enjoy so much just talking comics. The conversation continues again from this podcast onto Twitter, onto Instagram, onto Facebook. Find me there. I thank you, you guys, so much. You know what time it is? That it is the end of the show. When I implore you to take care of yourself spiritually, mentally, physically, whatever you can. Eat good food, fun food. Have a milkshake. You know, eat a cookie. Uh, maybe kale is your thing. Maybe maybe you know. Uh, uh, you know, a uh, uh, a bunch, a bunch of vegetables. You know, is, is your thing. I don't know. Maybe a bag of Doritos. Th- that 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 may be my thing. It is my thing. Okay, read a good comic, watch a great show, have have fun with your friends, ride a bike, drive a car, walk the dog. Whatever it takes, get that release, relax, chill, enjoy what you enjoy unapologetically. The music you like, the books, the comics, the shows. Okay. Love you guys so much. Thanks for listening, um, and and I just appreciate you, and I just want you to take care of yourself. It's been a crazy couple of years. We're still coming out of it, and, uh, and I just want you to come out of it as strong as you possibly can. Hug through the podcast. I'm hugging you, and I'm hoping that you circle back and catch me next time because we will talk again real soon.